0: Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarvestLakeshore.org. Yes, I invite you to turn your Bible to Romans 12. We're going to be reading verses 14 to 21. Romans 12, verses 14 to 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. When, when somebody wrongs us, when somebody uh, cheats us, when somebody uh, treats us uh, evil um, or unjustly, it is, it is only natural only natural to want to pay them back for what they've done. I mean, after all they've done wrong to us, it just seems right to do wrong back to them. I came across some interesting quotes on the subject of paybacks this week and I just want to read them to you. I'm not endorsing these quotes, but uh, they sort of get the idea. Here's the first one. I ran into my ex the other day, then I put it in reverse and ran into him again paybacks. Here's a second one. Sometimes we know we shouldn't and that's exactly why we do paybacks. Another one. Always forgive your enemies. Nothing annoys them more. I really never thought of forgiveness as a means of payback, but according to that quote, here's a fourth and final one. Don't upset me. I'm running out of places to hide the bodies. Again, I'm not endorsing any of these quotes or any of the behaviors that they mention, but uh, let's be honest, uh, that is sometimes how we feel after people have wronged us. That is sometimes how we feel uh, after we've gone through a situation in our life where people have aimed evil at us. Now, in Romans chapter 12, we learn what it means to live out our faith. As we've mentioned along the way, the first 11 chapters of Romans are all about understanding our faith. When we come to chapter 12 and 13, it's about, now I have to live it out. How do I flesh out my faith? So in Romans 12, we're learning about what it means to be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ and how do we live out our faith. Specifically, in the verses that I just read a moment ago and that you'll follow along with, verses 14 to 21, we learn what it means to live out our faith in relationship with those or to those Who have aimed evil, who are aiming evil at us. Now, this passage, as we mentioned last week, really kind of divides into two parts. The first three verses, verses 14 to 16, in those verses, we're we're given a positive command. In other words, we're told what we should do. In verse 14, we're simply told, Bless those who persecute you, bless, and do not curse. So, in verses 14 to 16, we're given this positive command regarding how to break the cycle of evil by blessing those who do evil towards us. And let's just kind of quickly review what we touched on last week. If we are going to bless those who have persecuted us, those who have done evil towards us, I think there's a couple of things that we need to do. First of all, we need to develop a mindset of forgiveness, a mindset of forgiveness. Now, as we mentioned, forgiveness is not an event. Forgiveness is a process a multi-staged process that we go through. We mentioned three of those stages last week. The first stage in forgiveness, I think, is simply the choice to forgive. This is an act of the will. We don't necessarily have to feel like it. Our emotions don't necessarily have to be in the right place. But what we do is an act of the will by which we choose each day to release any action of retribution or retaliation in word or behavior to God. I might not feel like doing that. My emotions might not be there, but I just simply make a choice of the will to relinquish, to release all actions of retaliation to God. That's kind of stage one, and that can take some time. Stage two is what we might call the process of forgiving. This is simply where our emotions eventually catch up with our actions. We're doing the right things. Now we allow our emotions to catch up with what we're doing. It's interesting that in Matthew 5, uh, Jesus was talking about this. And where here in Romans 12, Paul says, bless those who persecute you. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. And I think there's a connection there. Because I think if if we're going to get to the place where our emotions catch up with our actions in this area of forgiveness, it really is all about prayer. We need to pray and we need to thank God for how merciful and kind and forgiving he has been with us. Despite all the evil in our hearts, despite all the evil things that we've done, that I've done to him and to others, I need to thank him for his mercy, thank him for his grace. And then I need to pray that God would show that person who's done evil toward me, that he would show them the same undeserved mercy, the same grace, the same forgiveness that he has shown me in all of their life. And as we do that, as we pray for God's grace and God's mercy, as we thank God for all his grace and mercy he's shown to us, over time, our emotions will catch up with our actions. And then there's kind of a third stage here in forgiveness, which we might call completely forgiven. And this is when the Spirit of God not only aligns our choices and our emotions, but also aligns our desires where we actually begin to desire for blessing to come into that person's life even though they have wronged us, where we actually desire for good to occur in that person's family and career. Now, getting to that place isn't easy. But as we learn to develop this mindset of forgiveness, and by so doing, bless our enemies, the person that's really freed up in all of this is not so much the person that has done evil towards us. We're freed up. We're freed up from the whole issue of bitterness. And all of those feelings that can so take hold in our lives. But again, in fulfilling this positive command, it not only involves a mindset of forgiveness, verse 15 told us, and again, we looked at it last week, that it involves actions of identification. Verse 15 simply says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And as we mentioned last week, this is not a small group verse. Though certainly we want to rejoice with the people in our small group when they're rejoicing, and we want to weep with them when they're weeping, but the context of this verse is that we rejoice with those who have done evil toward us when they're rejoicing, and we weep with those who have done evil toward us when they're weeping. In other words, we need to have actions of identification. We need to move beyond simply the mindset of forgiveness in our choices and emotions and desires to specific actions of blessings that are directed toward the ones who have aimed evil at me. And I rejoice with them when they go through a period of rejoicing. I get to the place where I'm able to weep with them and even sorrow with them when they go through those times of sorrow. That's part of the way we bless those who direct evil at us. And then verse 16 reminded us that all of this needs to take place in a context of humility. Verse 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Again, let's be honest, when we're, we're dealing with someone who has directed evil at us, and, and we kind of go through this process of forgiveness and, and trying to identify with them when they're going through a time of rejoicing and identifying with them when they're going through a time of weeping, it's really easy for you and I to develop sort of this um, kind of uh, uh, haughty attitude. It's easy for us to sort of develop this kind of self-righteous attitude. I mean, they're the, the one that did the evil, and we're the one doing the forgiving, right? Right? They're the one that's treating us poorly, and we're the one that's trying to identify with them. They're the one that's acting wrongly, and we're trying to show humility. So it's really easy in all of that to kind of become haughty and big-headed and self-righteous. And the text here makes it clear that there is to be no sense of superiority as we relate to and associate with those who've hurt us. We are to do all that we can to live in harmony with them. So that's sort of the first part of the passage. The positive command, bless those who persecute us, bless and do not curse. Today, we're going to look at verses 17 to 21, where we're given a negative command. In other words, this part of the paragraph actually begins with a negative command telling us what we should not do when it comes to living out our faith in our relationships with those who do or aim evil towards us. And the negative command deals with this issue that we started off with, this whole issue of how to handle the temptation for paybacks. How do we handle the temptation for paybacks? Look again at verse 17. It simply says, God simply says, repay no one evil for evil. Repay no one evil for evil. So it starts off with a prohibition. God simply says, don't do this. Don't do it. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. So even though everything in us, even though all of our emotions wants to repay evil for evil, the word of God is clear. The directive of God, the command of God, is clear. We're not to do that. God's word makes it clear that we don't do that. We may think that getting back at that person will somehow be satisfying. We may think in our heads, well, if they did evil and I do evil, it'll just balance everything out. But it doesn't balance everything out. Instead, it generally just escalates the conflict. It pulls us into the doing of evil. It's like, um, it's like trying to put out a fire with a hose full of gasoline. It just doesn't help, doesn't work, doesn't make things better. It just escalates things. It just exacerbates things and makes them worse. So verse 17 begins, repay no one evil for evil. Don't do this. But the verse goes on to give us a solution, a couple of things that we are to do. Look at the rest of verse 17 into verse 18. It says, but, or on the contrary, in other words, instead of repaying repaying evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible... As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So the latter part of verse 17 and verse 18 actually gives us two things that we can do. They're part of the solution so that we can fulfill the prohibition of not repaying evil for evil. And here's the first of these two things. Number one, I must do all I can to prevent my exposure to evil. I must do all I can to prevent my exposure to evil. Now, that phrase in the second half of verse 17 is kind of an interesting phrase. It could actually be translated from the original language of the New Testament a couple of different ways. So it could actually have a couple of different meanings. The meaning that I believe we should take, and again, there could be others, and I understand that, is that it's literally saying this. It's saying, give careful consideration to what is right in the eyes of others. In other words, don't be naive. Don't be naive. Don't expect the world to live by biblical morals. Don't expect the world to live by biblical ethics. Don't be surprised by selfishness. Don't be surprised by greed. Don't be surprised by backstabbing. Don't be surprised by people not keeping their word. Don't be surprised by gossip and lying and people trying to rip you off or betraying a confidence or using information that we've shared against us. Instead, the verse says we need to carefully consider what is right in the eyes of others. We need to recognize that for many people, selfishness is perfectly fine. For many people, lying and stealing isn't a problem. It is perfectly right in their eyes to do that. For many, envy is okay. Jealousy is okay. Doing whatever it takes to get ahead is okay. It's simply a way of life. These things are perfectly right and honorable in their eyes. So Paul is saying, hey, give careful consideration to how other people think, what they think is right, what they think is honorable. And if we do that, we'll find ourselves far less vulnerable to being on the receiving end of evil. Now, that doesn't mean we won't receive any evil or we'll be able to avoid all evil, but if we are wise, we can prevent much of it by applying this advice. A couple of examples. Let's say you're going to go out and buy a used car, right? And uh, you've been, uh, you know, driving to work the last few days and you've noticed there's been a car out in front of somebody's house and... It's kind of what you're looking for, right? It looks to be the size of the car you're looking for, maybe about the right age of the car you're looking for. And and so you kind of drive by slowly a couple times, and eventually you call the phone number, and you set up a time to to talk to the individual that's selling the car, and you go over and look at it. And when you do that, you've got to approach this, not, not cynically or not paranoid, but you've got to realize that chances are that person may very well try to get as many dollars out of you as they possibly can. They may not even be totally honest with you about the vehicle. They may not tell you about accidents it's been in. They may not tell you about the transmission or some other part of the vehicle. So you've got to go into that situation asking the right questions. You maybe have to take that vehicle to a a, a mechanic that you trust, have them go over the vehicle to make sure everything is okay. You've got to consider carefully what is right in the eyes of others, because maybe in their eyes, making the most bucks they can is the right thing for them to do but in your eyes, that would leave you ripped off. So we've got to be careful about that. Or maybe you're having somebody, you're going to hire somebody to do some work on your house. Again, get a couple of estimates. Have everything put in writing. Ask a lot of questions. Follow up on references, all right? Again, God is not saying be paranoid about this. He's simply saying if we're not going to find ourselves in a position where we're tempted to repay evil for evil, then we need to do all we can to prevent our exposure to evil. We need to do that. As much as possible, we need to live by that advice. Here's the second second thing that we find in verse 17 and 18. Not only is part of the solution doing all I can to prevent my exposure to evil, but a second part of the solution is that I must do all I can to reduce my contributing to evil. Verse 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I appreciate the fact that this verse starts off, if possible, if possible. Scripture does not advocate peace at any price. We're not to compromise our testimony for Christ. We're not to compromise the Lord's reputation. We're not to compromise biblical principles for peace. It's not peace at any price. So it says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, In other words, it's our responsibility to ensure that the fueling of evil or the fueling of conflict in relationships doesn't come from us. We shouldn't start the doing of evil, nor should we repay evil for evil, all right? So far as it depends on you, don't do that. We need to make sure that we're not the one either inciting or uh, kind of exploding the evil. As far as it depends on us, if possible, we are to live peaceably with all. We're to live peaceably with all. So don't wrong others. Don't cheat others. Don't treat others unjustly. Don't return evil for evil. Never give in to the temptation for paybacks. Instead, we're to deal with that temptation by doing all we can to prevent our exposure to the evil someone may want to aim at us and, to do all that we can to contribute to peaceful relationships by refusing to do anything that will contribute to evil. That is part of the way that we repay no one evil for evil. So yes, here in these opening two verses, 17 and 18, there is a prohibition, but it's not just a negative. It's not just a don't do this. It's a, hey, here's a solution. Here's some positive things we can do to help in the situation. Now, we look at all that, and we say to ourselves, but why? I mean, that person was really evil toward me. Or maybe even worse, they were really evil toward somebody I love, and they really hurt somebody that I care for very, very deeply. And, and just there's this part of me that just just wants to get back at them. So why should I listen to this advice? Why should I follow this directive? Why should I follow God's Word? Well, in verses 19 and 20, we're given the reason why. In verses 19 and 20, we're given some reasoning for why we should follow verses 17 and 18. In verse 19, we read Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, giving something to drink for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head so here in these two verses we discover why we shouldn't pursue personal retaliation and why we should follow the instructions of this passage two thoughts here number 1 in verse 19 vengeance or justice is god's job vengeance justice is God's job. God simply says in verse 19, I'll handle it. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'll handle it. When we take paybacks into our own hands, we're taking on a job that God's already committed to take on. That's why he commands us to stay out of what we might call the boxing ring of retaliation, where it's sort of punch and counterpunch, sort of back and forth. God says, don't go there. Don't be a part of that. That's my fight. He takes full responsibility for justice. It's part of his nature. So he's perfect at it, so we can let it go. We can let it go because vengeance or justice is God's job. It's God's job. But the second part of the reasoning is found in verse 20, and that is that good alone can triumph evil. Good alone can triumph evil. When I return or when you return evil for evil, what happens? It doesn't balance things out. It doesn't make all things even. It doesn't make all things better. Evil simply multiplies. It actually makes matters worse. The Bible teaches that there is only one remedy to stopping evil, and that's doing good. It says, feed your enemies when they're hungry. Give them something good to drink, not the red Kool-Aid, when they're thirsty, all right? When we do that, God says there will be a good outcome. Look at what God says in verse 20. He says, by so doing, by feeding them when they're hungry, giving them something good to drink when they're thirsting, by so doing, you will do what? You will heap burning coals on his head. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. When you first read that, you're kind of thinking, yes, burning coals on his head. It's kind of what I wanted to do at the very beginning. I don't need the rest of this. But again, what does this mean? Because even though on the surface it sounds a lot like paybacks, it's not paybacks. So we need to put ourselves back in the culture into which this was written. And back in ancient culture, what this is referring to is when someone realized they were in error... They would literally take coals from a fire, put them in a pan, put a towel on their head, and carry the pan on their head throughout their village. They were doing that, or by doing that, they were declaring that they were burning out the bad. In essence, this was both an act, this was both an act of confession or admitting their wrong, as well as a, will, a wanting to burn away the wrong or repent of the wrong. So the idea is this. When we love people in our lives who don't deserve to be loved in ways they don't deserve and don't expect, when we live out our faith that way and we follow Christ authentically, it can break through the hardest hearts. When they're hungry and we feed them, and it might not be a physical hunger. They might have a refrigerator full of food. Their cabinets might be stuffed with dry goods and everything, but there's some other hunger in their life. And when I seek to meet that need, Or when I think to give them something to drink, and again, it may not be a physical thirst, it may be an emotional thirst or some other kind of thirst in their life. When I seek to meet that need, when I do that, what happens? God's word says, God's word says, by so doing, it'll bring them to the place of confession. It'll bring them to the place of repentance. By so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. It's not an issue of paybacks, It's an issue of God using the good in ways that honor and glorify Him, in ways that honor and glorify Him. So we need to refuse to pay back evil for evil. We need to refuse to gossip about the one who's gossiped or is gossiping about us. We need to refuse to use unethical practices or to pay back those who lied to or cheated us or have been unethical towards us. In many ways, the choice is simple. Either we decide that we'll handle the situation and bring about justice on our own terms, or we'll pass the ball to God. And we'll say to God, God, I'm going to let you determine the outcome here. I'm going to let you handle the situation. In keeping with with what this passage teaches me, I'm going to follow your word. Even if I don't feel like following your word, Because I'm not going to allow my emotions to run my life. I'm going to allow your word to control my life. Now, even though that's simple, is it easy? No, it's not easy. It's not easy at all. But the bottom line is, when it comes to how do followers of Christ overcome the evil aimed at us, verse 21 summarizes the whole thing. Verse 21 summarizes the whole paragraph. The paragraph closes simply with this, do not... Be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil. But instead, how do we overcome that evil, that evil that is aimed at us as followers of Christ? How do we live out our faith authentically? God says we overcome the evil with good. Now, I want to give you a couple of assignments, but before we go there, Chris, we're going to kind of jostle the outline here a little bit. I want to jump to something else. Because as I was thinking about all of this, I was thinking that there might be a couple of questions that may come up in your mind. As we're thinking about all that we've talked about the last two Sundays, a couple of questions may have popped into your head, and those questions may go something like this. And I want to touch on this before we kind of give a, a closing assignment. Here's the questions that may pop into your head. Well, if, if we're to bless those who aim evil at us and never pay back others for what they've done wrong, does this mean that we should reward abusers? Does this mean that we should buy steak dinners for felons? What about when someone has done evil to us that violates the law? Does this passage teach that we're to refrain from prosecuting them or reporting them to civil authorities? Well, the short answer is no, no, no. Romans 12, 14 to 21, this paragraph makes it clear that we're never to personally retaliate in our individual relationships. But, we're not gonna go there today, but the very next paragraph, chapter 13, verses one to seven, the very next paragraph, the very next verses, that's equally clear that God has indeed authorized the government and law enforcement to execute justice. So Romans 12, 14 to 21 addresses personal disputes and behavior. While Romans 13, verses 1 to 7, the very next paragraph, addresses civil and criminal behavior. So again, here's a couple of illustrations so we can try to understand where this is coming from. All right, maybe it goes something like this. My boss is sexually harassing me. I've avoided him as much as possible, but he has made his intentions clear. And the implications are clear if I don't comply. Am I paying back evil for evil if I report him to the human resource department or his superior or law enforcement? No, you are not repaying evil for evil. The matter is not an issue of personal retaliation. It is a matter of company policy. It is a matter of legal statute. After you've spoken the truth, the offense is not primarily a private one. It is one that involves the integrity of the company and the protection of you and others. We need to understand that. We need to make that differentiation. Here's another illustration. Again, we could give a hundred of these. Let me give you one more. My estranged husband left us three years ago. Hasn't hardly paid a dime of child support. Is it wrong to go to court And make the authorities aware of this in view of Romans 12, 14 to 21. Isn't that paying back evil for evil? Again, the answer is no. Your ex-spouse has broken the law, and it's the court's responsibility to enforce the law. It's a civil matter, not a personal or private issue. Your attitude toward your estranged husband is a Romans 12 issue, but his delinquency and child support is a Romans 13 issue. So we need to remember that, all right? We need to understand that. Romans 12 is directed toward the prohibition of personal retaliation and revenge for a wound or a hurt inflicted. We're to bless those who persecute us. We're to refuse to pay back evil and do good to those who've done evil to us. This is counter to the culture when it comes to personal attacks. It requires tremendous grace. In many ways, this is following Jesus Christ at its very toughest, at its hardest. But when it's obeyed, it will protect us from the poison of bitterness and it will release God's power to work in the heart of the one or the ones who have aimed evil at us. We always want to remember, we always want to remember that, we don't, that if we are going to overcome evil, we overcome evil with good. We overcome evil with good. So now here's the assignment, all right? Last week, one of the things I ask us to do is to think of a person, picture a person, even write down the names of a person or some persons who have directed or aimed evil at us, all right? Just put their names down. We can have a mental list, electronic list, a written list, whatever it might be. So as we're still thinking about those people, here's the assignment. Think of ways, even subtle ones, that I've returned evil for evil and need to confess that and repent of that. So I'm thinking about this list of people. Maybe there's just one name on the list. Maybe there's two. Maybe there's five. Maybe there's more than that. But as I'm thinking about those people, I need to think to myself, are there any ways, even subtle ways, that I have returned evil for evil? Maybe it's in something that I've done to them. Maybe it's in something that I haven't done to them. Maybe it's something that I've said to them. Maybe it's something that I've said behind their backs to other people about them. But I need to think of some ways, even subtle ones, that I've returned evil for evil, and I need to confess that and repent of it. And maybe involving a family member, maybe involve a coworker, maybe a peer, maybe a neighbor. But I need to think about that. I need to process that a little bit. And then here's the second part of the assignment. Ask God, help me turn over all justice to you when it comes to those who have aimed evil at me. Help me, God. And we need his help. This is not a, a thing that we can just do by our own human, human ingenuity or human strength or, or human, you know, just whatever. I need God's help in this, right? I need to release any desire for payback and to turn the person who has wronged me and all outcomes over to God, trusting that full justice will occur because that's his responsibility. It's part of his nature. He can't do anything but be just. He can't do anything but be just. And here's the second thing to ask God. God, give me creative and God-honoring ideas to express some specific acts of kindness and love to those who absolutely don't deserve it. Because if we feed our enemies when they're hungry, and if we give them something to drink when they're thirsty, good is released. And according to verse 21, according to God's word, good has the power to transform. Good has the power to overcome evil. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the instruction of your word. We thank you for this chapter in the book of Romans, Romans 12, after all the kind of deep theology of chapters 1 through 11 and all the, the uh, uh, discourse about uh, our faith and, and who we are outside of Christ and who we are in Christ and all that Christ has done for us. then we come to this chapter and it's like, okay, here's where the rubber meets the road. And Father, as we've had the privilege over the course of a, a number of months here and there to work our way through this chapter We thank you, Lord, for what we learn. Father, we even thank you for verses 14 to 21. Father, we we admit these are hard things. It is hard to bless those who persecute us, to bless and not curse them. It It is hard not to repay back evil for evil. So we're thankful, Father, on the one hand that you address this in your word, that you recognize our struggle, recognize our problem. We also thank you, Lord, that you give us practical, down-to-earth instruction, how-tos, so that we're not just hearers of your word, but we can be doers of your word. Father, this morning, I just want to lift up anybody that's here in this auditorium or anybody that's at home that has been the, uh, on the receiving end of, of a, a great deal of evil aimed at them. Maybe it was... Uh, maybe it was uh, Uh, Parents that didn't live up to their responsibilities. Maybe it was children that that haven't shown the kind of honor that they should. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's a situation uh, in in a community, whatever it might be. God, for those that are going through these deep waters of, of struggling with this, God, might they grab tightly to your word today. Might they find great grace and hope in your word today. Might they see the truth of your word today and act upon it. And see that your word proves true, that you prove true, and that you prove faithful. We thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.